If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so, so happy that you decided to join us today for this very special episode. I am one of your many hosts, Keith Childs, the author of many things, including the Jesus on series on Amazon and the soon to be or guess by now actually released book, Sola Mysterium, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything. And I am joined by my amazing, my fantastic, my stupendous co-hosts, Katie, Derek, and Matt. Please say hello. Hello, I'm Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control. I'm the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Facebook community, and I'm excited to speak all things in parables today. And I am Derek Day. I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion and a whole bunch of other shit out there. And uh, I love to get parabolic. I'm Matt DiStefano, the author of the recently released or just about to be released. I can't calculate when this is coming out. Uh, Learning to Float with Michelle Collins. I would love if everyone goes and picks that up. And before we get into it today, we have another word from a sponsor. So let's cue that up. As long as our theology is about having the right answers, we will always miss the questions that could lead us into a deeper understanding that transcends information and leads to ultimate transformation. So, do not speak to me of all that you know of God, when what you know of God is as close to nothing as it could possibly be. Speak instead of all that you have not yet known of God, and this is where true theology begins. Questions really are the answer. Ask, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open. Seek, and you will discover. Because the opposite of faith, as we have learned, is not doubt, it's certainty. And we cannot talk about God with any degree of certainty, because God is, by definition, a being who transcends imagination, expectation, and comprehension. What we know is this. There is more of God to know than any of us will ever fully know in this life. So let's begin by embracing the mystery of Christ to discover the endlessly unfolding beauty of uncertainty. This is the topic of my brand new book, Sola Mysterium, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything, available on Amazon in print and Kindle by Keith Giles. And if you want to get in touch with your favorite heretics, you may do so by dialing 240-343-7379. Once again, it's 240-343-7379. And I have come to the conclusion that there are not many dexterous fingers out there because the finger dexterity, we're not feeling the love, folks. Our podcaster listeners have aged and they all have arthritis now. Something like that. Cannot dial in. Listen, guys, this is why you can't have nice things. If you don't take care of stuff, you're going to lose it. We have to take it away from you. And and sadly, it seems like um, there's something going on here. We even tested the other day. We're like, is this thing on? Yeah, Yeah, I called it. Does this thing work? 
Because I went through. Kind of weird. I, I yeah. may or may not have left a message to go fuck yourselves. Um, <laughs> but that's the only message we have. I guess we could have played that. But uh, could have played that. That would have been yeah. funny. That's the only message on there right now. It could be that we've empowered every listener to go find answers for themselves. And they know y'all no longer need to ask us. But we get a lot of fun and humor out of answering the question. So yeah. send them in. Yeah. So we'll just say... Hey, if, if no one's gonna use it, you're gonna lose it. It's like it's like muscle mass. It's gonna you're gonna you're gonna have dystrophy. Is that what it is when your muscles just wither away? You're not gonna you're not gonna have finger dexterity any longer. You're not gonna be able to dial in, and we're gonna take it away from y'all. You don't know what we're gonna put in its place. It could be anything. That's scary, actually. It could be anything. <laughs> yeah, it could be for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we 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 enjoy the shit posters just as much as anything else, <laughs> right? Well, it's gonna yeah. be all pal all the time. Oh, oh lord! I, yeah, I could just do that. We could just do seventy three bits of different pal uh, voicemails, yeah. unless Why you guys not? fill it back up with something else. Call so that you don't have to listen to pal for the rest of twenty twenty two and beyond. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? You want pal? You want pal? Pal? Well, we'd have a couple of years worth. I think actually, it would be horrible. Yeah. All right, F man, calm down. Sweet baby <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh man. Do y'all remember that um that drawing that he did of us? Yes. Not, yeah. not, to, harp, not to harp on pal, but that was fantastic. good times. Classic. Well, you heard it here first. If you don't replace the voicemails, you're getting pal next week. So don't know what to tell y'all. Please, people. <laughs> Please, listeners, do us a favor, please. And here's the thing: you would be, you're almost guaranteed to make it on the air on the podcast, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's it's just sitting there waiting. The the very next thing that, that jumps in there, the very next text or voice message we get, if it's just halfway good, halfway decent, you're on. You're on the air. So please, please do that. Uh, call the hotline. Yes, please do. Two first. Oh, and you profanity. Profanity is appreciated. That might, might boost your uh, chances, actually. Yes. Yeah, two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. Please, 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 please hit the hotline. All right. So your admonishments are in. Call the hotline, and maybe if you do, you'll even make it to be a heretic of the week one day, which is exactly where we're turning to now. Um, so we have a wonderful heretic, only the second person to ever make it on here twice. So go ahead and guess who it is, and all will be revealed. It's the heretic of the week. Um, hi, it's Kevin Garcia. Pronouns they, he, or she. As long as you're being nice, I don't care. And I mean, famously, like I said last time, I'm a heretic mostly because I'm into butt stuff. But now I would say that most people say I'm a heretic because uh, I question too many things. Um, but again, it's mostly butt stuff. I get really bent out of shape about that, which is tragic. I'm just like, you're really missing out on a whole universe of interesting things to talk about. But if that's what you want to fixate on, like, I guess we could go there. Hi, <laughs> Kevin. We have to do our little thing. No, no yeah. please. That was just, I'm stick. sorry. I, I just know that I talk too much, so. <laughs> no, not impossible. You're, you're um, on the right podcast for that. Yeah, you are, actually. You're in the oh, right God. seat. You're the heretic of the week, so we will hope you talk a whole lot. Well, thank yeah, well, you. Welcome back. You're like, uh, this is the second time we've had you on yeah. this heretic of the week. What a treat and a dream. It's like uh, um, you go on for a second time or third time, you become a friend of the show. Yeah. So it's like, ah. Oh, good. Friend nice. of the show. Otherwise, you're just an acquaintance. Acquaintance. 
That's right. Listen, acquaintance. Aquinas. Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. Too much? Let's talk Aquinas. We're here to talk Aquinas well, today. Please, God. No. Oh, God. Please. It's too much. Too much, too soon, too quickly. Too early, too early for that. Yeah, what have you been up to since you uh, since you last graced the Heretic of the Week chair? Uh, you've, I believe you've written a book or two? Or? Has your career entirely crashed because of the show? No, no, you got the bump, right? You got the Heretic of the Week bump, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I got a bump. A bump in numbers, a bump in sales. And also, like, real talk, the reason... Like doing podcasts is actually really beneficial because I do see a tick up in like book sales because of it. Because so for me, um, I this is like, oh, well, you do it for free. I'm just like, no, I'm getting paid just in a very different way. <laughs> yes. It's more long term. Yeah. yeah uh, we talked about a year ish or so ago, I think. I think so. so that would yeah. be 2020. No, 2021. Jesus Christ. See, this is what the Thanos snap did to me. Yes. No, it was 2020. Was it 2020? It was wow. 2020. How about we just say it was sometime during COVID? Yeah. During the pandemic, in the, in, in the times. In the, in midst the of times it. before. Pre-vaccine yes. pandemic, yeah. Ooh, that's really it. Pre-vax. <laughs> well, since then, I mostly have just been doing a lot of this. By, I mean, a lot of the same. I mean, I started doing uh, what I've been calling the practice cohort which is a 12-week like uh, cohort program I'm running with people. And the whole point being we're going to create our spiritual practices and Ooh. explore what does it mean to create peace in my body through practice? What does it mean to do this together? What does it mean to struggle with all of the things I've been struggling with and questioning? And what for me, the question is always, what am I doing to return to peace? And so that's what we explore together. That's kind of been like the main focus. My second book proposal is with my agent and going out uh, soon. So hopefully by midsummer, I'll be looking at a nice fat check for a book deal in Jesus' name. Come Ooh. on, somebody who wants to manifest $50,000, baby. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> like God wants me to be prosperous, you know. Tammy of Faye course. Told me that. Tammy of Faye told of me course, that. yes. <laughs> so if you sow your seed money here on the Heretic Happy Hour, you'll there see you it. Go. 50-fold returns. There's your seeds right there. Yeah, and if you send in your donation now, I will send you this packet of giant gray stripe sunflower seeds. My gift to you. Are those edible? Uh, No, I think they literally think these are for like planting in the earth. Which, I'm excited. I'm actually going to plant these um, in my garden very soon. So, hey, can I can talk a little bit more about this cohort practice thing? Because this yeah. sounds really, really fascinating. I, I've been doing this thing called Square One, which is also a 12-week thing for people cool. going through from deconstruction into reconstruction. But your thing sounds like something I would love to recommend to them, uh, sure. people going through that, because th- that is something that we spend a little bit, we spend like a week on something like that. But mm-hmm. I'm curious how you guys spend lo- much longer time helping people mm-hmm. develop new spiritual practices, which I think is so important. So talk about that. Why do you do that? What kind of things yeah. you know do you do? And yeah, that sounds amazing. That is a great question. And I also, I don't think I've ever talked about it on another podcast before. So this is exciting. Um, do it. I started, I started calling it the practice about a year ago. And by the practice, the practice, I mean, the thing that you're doing with your life that is creating your reality, like what you're doing every single day, whether it's your job or the family that you're with, like somehow you are functioning in a particular way. That's your practice. And my question to you is just like, is how is it going? How, what's the practice? What is your practice doing for you? If you're, is your daily 40 hour a week job 
and then just going through the motions and going to church and like barely hanging on and just thinking this is life. How's, is that is that doing good for you? Is it making you more happy, more joyful? If not, I wonder if there's a better way. And answer, there is. Um, <laughs> so what I teach and when I work with my people is A, I have a curriculum. I work with this wonderful text called A Course in Miracles. It's a metaphysical text from 1975. Go, yeah. hey, so hey. I use that as kind of a, a curriculum. I'm just like, it's already here. So my approach is read one lesson a day, meditate for five minutes, and then just see what happens. That's it. I don't tell people that you have to believe anything. I don't even think that you have to apply anything that you don't want to apply. You know, you shouldn't apply anything that doesn't make sense to you because you can't. But just read the thing. Just take the time to come back to peace, to come back to the peace that's already present in your body. Because when you do that, you're then able to do anything else. You're much when you're in joy, when you're at ease, when you're centered, you know exactly what you need to do all the time. And if you don't, you still have the wherewithal to wait until you figure it out. It's, it's a practice, I think, of learning how to slow down in almost every sense of the word, but mostly like slowing down on the level of thought so that I can, any thought that causes me pain, anything that causes me to uh, get stressed out or any thought that causes me uh, inner conflict, I know to question it. Just pay attention to it. And so over the course of 12 weeks, we'd start introducing these very small ideas around how we think about things, how we're perceiving ourselves. And the main point I'm trying to make to everyone is uh, the peace you feel when you meditate, when we meditate together, that's the point, period. Of all spirituality throughout the entire world, and that, you know, large claim, don't care. The peace that I feel when I am centered in myself is the greatest thing I've discovered and I don't want anything else. And so I've dedicated my life to it. And that to me, is that's heaven. Peace of mind right now, like love right now, compassion right now, forgiveness right now for myself and no one else has to give it to me. What a treat. And that from that perspective and from that vantage point, I've been able to a lot more consciously create the the world that I want and the life that I want. And granted, it's not happened overnight, of course, because that's just not how things work. But it has come with practice, no pun intended. Yeah. That's and that so to beautiful. me is, yeah, yeah so I, I help people do that. It's a mix of like an e-course curriculum. We meet twice a week on Zoom. And then we also have one-to-one meetings to, you know, get whatever extra support is needed. So to me, it sounds like you're kind of embracing this idea that, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, that there's not, like if you were to take life and make an analogy that it's a dance, there's no point to the dance. The The, the mm. point is just to dance. Pleasure. Yeah. Like, the, the like point you don't all pleasure. of a sudden get it when you, when you hit the final note in a musical piece or you do the final move in a dance. The, the point is simply just to enjoy the process and, and enjoy the, the, the moment you're at. I would say, yeah, it matters how you feel. And I think that um, something, of course, in Miracles would argue is that like God want, God's will is that you be happy, period. And I'm like, oh. And I'm just like, now granted, says, like, how do you know? I'm just like, 
I mean, I don't know, but when I try on that idea, it really feels good to me. And so I'm like, hmm, what if I just tried to continuously follow this good feeling? What would happen? I have no idea. I've never tried it before because my entire life I've just been programmed to stop as soon as fear gets in my face and says, you shouldn't do that. For Why? Why? Kevin, I love this and it resonates with so much of what I do in the, in the metaphysical mm-hmm. kind of world and helping people become metaphysical as Jesus followers. And it sounds to yes, me... Yes. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like you're, you're really participating in helping raise human consciousness. And that might be my phrase, that might not be your phrase, but I kind of wanted to see how that landed with you. Like when we can uh, participate in this, in this peaceful feeling, it has a ripple effect. It affects the world around us. It's, it's actually a very selfless thing to do as well as being selfish, but in the, in the really good sense of being selfish, like it's okay for us to focus on our well-being and on our development. And in general, I would say like, that's really the only thing that we can ever focus on. I, I think I would, uh, I would say yes. Like the idea, because like, I'm not here to convert anybody to anything. I don't want anybody to believe any anything. I don't care what you believe. I just care. I don't even care how you feel if I'm being honest. I care about how I feel. <laughs> Which like, <laughs> at, it's, at first, like, it sounds very... Because like, I just understand and I know that that's your business. That's your business, how you feel. If you want to feel as shitty as you feel, I want you to feel as shitty as you feel. And I'm going to love you no matter what. That's my business. Yeah. Another one. Thank you. <laughs> that to me is like the the end of it right there. Uh, something, of course, in Miracle says in uh, the Manual for Teachers, it says that the teacher of God is generous out of self-interest uh, because they understand that which they give away. They're just securing for themselves. And so what, what I take that to mean is when you really understand what you're doing by helping people understand concepts like these, is it's joyful. I, I talk about this shit because it feels so good to me. I talk about these concepts and practices because they make me come alive. And, you know, ideas are stronger when they are shared among people, when other people start to to get it. And like anybody who's kind of like done any sort of mentorship or teaching on any level, regardless of the subject, knows what it is like. Like when I was a voice teacher, I used to say like, I I really didn't learn how to sing until I started teaching choir. Until I started teaching people how to sing, that's when I learned how to sing. I think sometimes it can be very similar in this work. It's like, I didn't really, I started off with just like little bitty things, but now it's like, it seems so simple, but so powerful. And I do it because of, of the outcome it gives me. It makes me feel amazing. Yeah, I think it's so great. It's, it's wonderful to hear you talking about this because um, outside of my Square One group, we don't, I, I don't normally talk to people about this topic, but I think it's so great to hear other people like getting that because, so what we've talked about is like how for a lot of people who are going through their deconstruction process, kind of moving into what you know, reconstruction, um, you reach a point, right, where you realize, hey, there's all this stuff that I, Christian-y kind of stuff I used to do because other people told me that if I did these things, I would be, I'd have more peace, I'd have more joy, I'd experience a greater connection with God. And they were things like, Come to men's Bible study, go to the retreat, uh, Wednesday, you know, show up at Sunday night for our special service, you know, Sunday mornings, Wednesday night. Read your Bible and have a quiet time, right? And and guess what? At least I'll just tell you for me, none of that did any of the stuff they promised me. It actually just made me exhausted. And so now you deconstructed all the theology. It's sort of like, okay, now is the best time for you to evaluate what are the things 
that I do in my life, and I think it's different for everybody, that, that it genuinely bring me healing and connection with God and, and peace. Okay, for some, for some people, it's gardening. Other people, it's taking a walk in nature. Other people, maybe it's poetry or painting or meditation or a combination of these things, right? And so the beautiful thing is now you are at a place where you, you get to decide. You get to decide for yourself. These are the things that genuinely feed my soul, help me develop in this positive way spiritually, right? And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful gift. But, so here's my question. I'm curious how you'd respond to this. Or, you know, you've kind of touched on it. But but the barrier, the first barrier that I think that people hit, even if they hear what I just said and they're like, oh, yes, Keith, that sounds so good. Here's the first barrier. But I can't trust myself, right? I ah, can't, yeah. right? But because all my thoughts are evil all the time. And, you know, the heart is deceitfully wicked. And I better not listen to that little voice telling me this is good uh, because that, that might be the devil, right? And so uh, do you ever get that uh, pushback from people or, or how would you respond to someone who said that like, oh, and I can't trust myself to know what's good for me? Yeah, I would, I would simply start off asking, well, what are you doing right now? Is, if anything, is what's, what is working, if anything? I'd start there and, and I would just probably say, I'm just like, well, how do you know that's really good for you? Like, how do you know? And that little bit of just like asking, like, you know, how do you know what you know? And like, actually like letting them answer and being curious, not trying to convert them. Um, and I always tell that like, it's, I've told somebody to their face, I'm like, it's no skin off my nose, whether you believe me or not. Like, I don't need you to believe me. I'm having a great time. And if you, I'm just like, and I'm not saying that you have to believe it. In fact, I don't even know if it'll work for you, but you should try it out. Like test it out. I don't believe, like I could be a big fat liar. Everything I could say, it could be untrue, but you don't know that until you try it out. Try it out. And that's where I kind of start. I want to like really, I kind of like is a kind of a defenselessness of like, if you can't receive it from me, if you can't hear what I'm trying to say right now, that's totally okay. I'm, I'm not trying to convert you because you, I know that you're fine. I know that you're okay. I know that who you really are at the center of who you are is absolutely just magic. And I just tell them, I'm just like, try out and see if it works. You know, you don't, you don't have to believe any, like, in fact, like something Sadhguru says, just like, don't believe anything I tell you. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I was like, please don't like, I want you to believe like more than like believing that these things can possibly work. I want you to believe and understand that you have the power and ability to affect your very life in, in greater ways than you understand when you allow yourself to come back home to the peace that is who you truly are. I make kind of a bold claim in saying probably, and also this is the same uh, claim the course would make is that who you truly are is peace is love, is God herself, itself, whatever source energy is. And everything else is a distortion of that. If it's not peaceful, if it's not loving, if it's not joyful, there's a question to be had. And I think the way out of it, I'm just like, if you're suffering, you can keep doing the same thing and you can expect to suffer more in the same way. But eventually, the reason we're all still questioning all these things is because we haven't figured out how to let go of our suffering. And so for me, creating a practice of daily sitting down, stilling myself, realizing who and what I am, 
has brought me into greater levels of peace. Like the peace that passeth understanding. It's like the shit that all these gurus are talking about. It's not as it's not as complicated as we make it, I think. Yeah. So now you you just also put a finger on what I would say is sort of the second barrier quite often to for people to move in this direction. Uh, so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about this because uh, I'm, I'm in the same place. I always tell people, I am not your guru. And actually, what oh, yeah. you need to do is to find the guru in yourself. You are your own guru, right? And again, it's comes, it comes back to that place of trusting yourself. So often, again, right, it's the... So Christianity, I think, teaches us, trains us to believe that truth is external to us, right? Uh, so it's either in a book or it's in that teacher or that pastor or that guru. The person of Jesus. Yes. So that's one of the things I think that needs to shift for a lot of Christians is to, is to stop expecting that truth and, and wisdom and everything are external to us, but to realize, no, it's right here. It's within us. It's inside of us. And that no, no external guru is necessary to help me find that. I just need to learn how to trust myself, right? Mm-hmm. The best teachers kind of like get their students to surpass them and graduate beyond them. Right. I think in yes. some ways it's like, and yeah. in some ways it's like same thing with like Christianity in some ways. Like my friend Caitlin J. Stout put on a Twitter thread one time is that people who deconstruct their faith are not the ones who are quitters. They're actually the graduates. They're yeah. the ones who put in the time, study, effort, did the work to get to this point where they move beyond an institution like high school or college or the church or maybe like this particular standard kind of faith. And so what I, I think about that a lot of terms, like with any work I do with in, individuals or in general, is that there's always going to be like the richer roars of the world. There's always going to be people who are like, oh, you're just wisdom out the wazoo. <laughs> um, and I even think that like the person of Jesus, for me, even like on a metaphysical level, I still feel like Jesus is a part of my rock. And like, I still see Jesus as my teacher and my brother yeah. and friend. Yeah. Whether or not like he, he's an actual metaphysical presence, no, can't prove that on the way that people want proof. But I think about, again, the evidence in my own life. Like I, when I cannot access compassion for myself, I ask for the compassion of the Christ. When I need to see things differently, like who do I go to? Like someone who's a little bit closer, who bridges the gap between me and that wisdom who slows me down enough for me to actually recognize, oh yeah, I do have access to that wisdom. I do know what to do. I just forgot. Beautiful. I go to Jesus all the time when the patriarchy enrages me. (laughs) Necessary companion uh, in my own life. (laughs) All the time. I'm like, Jesus, you need to get these people because I like, go get your your followers. I'm done with them. I know, right? My compassion is at a low right now. I need need Jesus to help me out. So... Uh, I'm loving this conversation because this, the week that we're recording this in particular, I've seen a ton of uh, social media posts go around and they all say something like this. And I'm I'm actually reading, reading one out loud. Uh, The do what makes you happy culture is so toxic for Christians. We're not called to do what makes us happy. We're called to do what glorifies God. Uh, Christianity isn't always sunshine and happiness. It's hard work and dedication to him, not us. Do what glorifies God. Um, and I, I, you know, I see what their pushback is uh, with a post like that. And part of me, I think, I think what I'm tapping into in that post, and I, I don't agree with the post at all. What I'm tapping into, though, is that sometimes this piece that you're talking about, and this is my perspective, so I'm curious about your perspective on it. But sometimes when we're tapping into that piece, it also troubles us. 
it also like, you know, when we're called to do something, sometimes we are called to do something that's hard. Um, when we're called to stand up to the patriarchy, sometimes we're called to say the really hard thing. And it brings us a different kind of peace, maybe than we're taught uh, in our Christian, like in Christian culture growing up. But it's not that the, in my experience anyway, it's not that the peacefulness I attain means I never do hard things. I just do hard things with a really different heart. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would, I would wonder if showing up in ways that empower others or showing up for protests or doing the work of political organizing, uh, it's time consuming, but at least from where I, my perspective is that it's much harder to actually sit around and do nothing. It's actually much harder for me now to sit by and watch injustice happen because it it feels so discordant within me. And I think when one recognizes who they are, what their, you know, our whole purpose here is pleasure and the continual expansion of pleasure. At least that's my, my working theory. I mean, well, like at least I'm, again, I'm a Jesus person. So like the thing I say is if, if the commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, oh, what was her name? She wrote Wisdom Jesus, Cynthia Bourgeau. Cynthia Bourgeau, she said in Wisdom Jesus that the teaching to love your neighbor as yourself should be taken further in that Jesus is actually saying to love your neighbor as an extension of you. Literally, to love that person as if they were you and yourself. Like, and that's the only, like, that's how to do it. That's really what that, that teaching goes for. So when people say, you know, it's, it's hard work and these things, I'm just like, I don't know. Love does not seem like effort to me anymore. It, it feels like, you know, the, the, like I don't, at least for me, maybe I don't have the fear of the backlash anymore around doing the quote unquote hard things. It's cause like, what, what could they really do to me? I've been, like, I've been so poor. Like I have been, you know, eating ramen noodles and living in a 300, like sleeping on an air mattress poor. I've been, you know, living out of my car poor. And maybe it's just, I've been through the, the, a lot of shit, but it's like, I don't know. I, I'm just not afraid of the consequences of standing in solidarity with the right thing anymore because it's always yielded me what I wanted in the end. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No, I love, I love that perspective. And in a more, maybe in a kind of more con- traditional, conventional Christian mm-hmm. ease, a mentor told me once um, that someone who's called to ministry, and I'm defining that really, really broadly, like whatever the ministry is that someone may be called to, uh, the only person who's more miserable than someone who's in ministry that shouldn't be is someone who should be and isn't. Mm. Like someone who has that calling because that is it is fulfilling. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I, I think I at least I must, must, was mistaken within like, I think because like, Pentecostal evangelicalism loves to do like the celebrity culture thing, thinking Hillsong and like all the churches who try to emulate that style. Um, my church was definitely one of them. And so I was under the impression that the only way I could use my musical giftings in a way that was good or worthy was is if I was doing it for the church, is if I'm doing it in this one particular way, I'm not allowed to just sing for the joy of it. So like I was a music student in school and I was also a part of this church band and I really wanted my friends to come see my choir concert because I had a solo and I was working really, really hard on this classical solo and they never heard me sing like that. And they didn't care. They didn't come because, okay, that's cool and all, but like we have, we have church on Saturday. 
it like really like takes pleasure out of it. Like, you know, the only way you can find pleasure is in this one way. And that pigeonholes, that pigeonholes a lot of us into saying, oh, pleasure. And like also the word pleasure is still so closely associated with sexual intercourse that that's all we think about. And we don't think of it in terms of how I can enjoy the fullness of my body, like what I'm eating, how I'm moving my body, what clothes I wear, how I adorn it, her, him, them. Try not to refer to my body as an it these days. But yeah, (laughs) the idea that suffering is part of the deal of being a Christian is one idea that I'm really ready to break up with. It's like, love is give and take. I'm like, no, love is give and give. Suffering happens, but also there's a way out of it. Pain's real. Pain's definitely real. Systemic issues, totally real. And so, yeah, on some level, suffering is like unavoidable if you want to put it that way. But the way that the contrast makes just shows me what I what I want more. Ooh, that's what I came here for. I think. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that. I mean, that's why. I mean, I think especially where like the Buddhists get it correct is they acknowledge the suffering, but they conclude the four noble truths with there is a way out of this suffering. Yes, we acknowledge it. We understand where it comes from, but. We're going to end with the end of suffering and here's how we get there. And so we, you know, going back to maybe your original point is it's a, it's a constant practice to get to that place. Yeah. And even after you have like the lifelong practice, you're still like, you can still have the moment, you know, not to be, not to pull on the cord of Easter real quick, but that is exactly what's happening in Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is a master. Jesus understands that he is one with all the universe, God, whoever, etc. And yet, the amount of pain that his body is about to go through, he's fucking terrified. And it's like, oh my God. Let me, let me do that. Let me be whatever is going on with my body. Oh, let me have mercy on my body for all of the fear that's going through it. Let me have love and compassion for it. Because it was like, you know, Jesus is out there in the garden talking to God, not that will be, will be done and whatnot. And so it comes to whatever, you know, disassociate. Like, I, theory, I wonder if Jesus dissociated for the first part of it because it's just like all the people showed up and then he's just like, yeah, it's, I am who you say that I am. It is right. as you say. Here we go. Not really. He's like... It's over for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to go to God now. (laughs) But I just, I just, I look at that moment and it's just like, even if you are a master, turns out that great fear is still possible and that it's normal to not want it. And also just like, you know, there's always the reality that Jesus could have left the city if he wanted to. Yeah. And so I wonder, I'm just like, did you have to die? Did you? Hmm. Hmm. But that's another conspiracy theory for another time. And I guess I shouldn't like... Yeah, you know, you reminded me too of this talking about the body and incarnation and stuff. Um, Kenneth Tanner and I had a conversation, I guess, about a year ago. And he kind of blew my mind with something I'd not heard before. And I think he got it from someone else. John Bear, probably. I think it was John Bear. But anyway, it was something about how the that the incarnation wasn't complete until Jesus died. Because until you experience death, you have not you have not completed the human experience. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is beautiful. And I'd never thought about that before. And um, 
And I think, yeah, I think what you're talking about, the suffering and the dying and all that, like, that's, I mean, you know, you said, like, did Jesus have to die? Yeah, because he's, he's in a, he's human. <laughs> Every human's like, what do you, I, I have to die. You uh, have to die. Everybody has uh, to die. Yes. Right? Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's also just like, it's like, it's like, even if it wasn't then, and also just like, why would it have mattered then right. and later? Right, old exactly. age or not well, one way or the other he was gonna die of course <sighs> interesting interesting yeah. oh that's good that's juicy yeah because also like um there's it's like there's there's like a, a, a kind of like you know with like they said the wrongful death of jesus i'm just like that we still have this idea that there's something wrong with dying right that it's that it's like and i think that this i don't know there's something here that i need to unpack there's something yeah, juicy yeah. that i'm still you know, you're right, though. The thing about, like, you, exactly, but, but death and, like, suffering, because death is just the ultimate suffering, um, suffering and death are the categories of things that must be avoided. Whereas there is this deep spiritual wisdom of, like, no, it's in the suffering and even in the dying that it really you start to, this is where it really starts to hit the road, right? The rubber hits the road. This is where it really begins to kick in. But we don't like that. Gosh, nobody wants that. No. Who wants suffering and death? No, absolutely not. We don't want that. We want it to be very simple. We want yeah. it to be very easy. We don't want to lose anything. And I think when one is starting like their own kind of like spiritual awakening path or moving away from fundamentalism in whatever way, there is this kind of loss or perceived loss that happens. I'm losing all of my friends. I'm losing my megachurch. Like someone said at a retreat I did recently, it's just like, I was on staff. I had 200,000 close friends <laughs> people that I, you know I had all these people that I did life with and I knew people and when I left it went from all this stuff to nobody and it's like mm -hmm, yes and yeah. I was just like listen those who um, those who seek to save their life will probably lose it and those who <laughs> lose their life you know for the sake of me or you know for the sake of like following after what is true uh, you're likely going to find it. And yeah. that for me became the true, like my coming out, that is what, that was true for me. Like it is worth, it was worth everything to follow after what was going to set me free in the end. Yeah. And a lot of, I think a lot of people, when they start waking up to reality or whatever the shit's going on or their faith starts to expand, is that verse becomes really real because it's just like, you got to lose everything you think is your life. You think that church is your life? You think your family is your life? You think your job is your life? You think your Christian identity is your life? You think those things will save you? Yeah. My God, lose <laughs> it all. And guess what? You'll still be standing and then you'll be quite amazed. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think, I think people, you're right. You're right. People who have experienced a deconstruction of faith or a crisis of faith and have lost those things really understand that verse because before mm. you go through that, it's it's kind of like one of those verses where we're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it seems like just some Jesus-y, ethereal sort of thing that's gets said. But then when you really taste that, you're like, oh, oh, that's what that's what he meant. That's yeah. what this mm -hmm. that's what this is all about. Oh, that's that's what's so beautiful. It's beautiful to me now, and sometimes it's annoying. But at least I'm at a point in my healing where. And because I grew up evangelical and like, 
I have like that weird, like encyclopedic biblical knowledge of just verses and stories and lineages and the whole nine yards way more than your average seven-year-old should know these things. But like, I find myself, I'll have these concepts come back to me and it turns out that they were truer than true. And I was like, oh, damn it. Like there's this one verse uh, in one of the epistles it talks about like the like the one foundation is truly the Christ, and people try to build on top of that. But there's always go there's going to be a day that comes when everything will be tested with fire, and the things that withstand will withstand, and that which is made up of just things that can't withstand the fire will go up in smoke, and the builder will escape, but only like one who escapes through fire. And I look at that, I'm just like, oh my gosh, look what's happening. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all these bitches have been building up monstrosities on top of it. And finally, the empire is beginning to burn. They're catching fire. And guess what? A knot and knot of it can stand, baby. Yeah, I love it. It's like, and I'm just like, that was right there the whole time in front of me. And I'm thinking this is about me having like, you know, me not masturbating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. That's what I'm thinking about this thing. I, my, my one foundation has to be celibacy and not touching my, my dick ever, ever. <laughs> awesome. It turns out that's not what the verse is about. Really? Turns <laughs> out. You could have been masturbating out. the entire time. This whole time. Man. And I was, but I could be masturbating without guilt. Without, without shame. Without yeah. shame. There you that's go. Right. You know, it, was, it was always like, you know, orgasm and then like, oh, God, ah. I did it again. <sighs> Yeah. I am so sorry. Am I though? I will never to touch it. myself again. You didn't even get to really enjoy it. That's what's sad. Oh. <laughs> but you know, we're making up for it now. That's right. Good. Go <laughs> right. for it. Not right now. <laughs> but not right now, please. Not right now. <laughs> not right now. That'd be a little bit. That's for the. Oh, that's for a different show, different time. You have uh-huh. to that's buy the, tickets for that's that for one. That's for the Patreon community. The Patreon subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> Top dollar. Only fans. <laughs> uh, this was great. Well, boy, we we went deeper than I sure I really thought we were going to go with the way we started, but this where we ended up. This was really amazing. What a great conversation! Yeah, I love like this is my favorite way to to dive in because I this is this will be like my like, if I can hear you trying to wrap it up. So the thing I want to say, uh, Phyllis Tickle said it: every five hundred years, Christianity has experienced a reformation, and I'm just saying I think that we are on the leading edge of that reformation. And whether or not I call myself a Christian, I don't think it really matters because history will decide that, won't they? In the meantime, I will just have a really, really, really good time, like throwing a party and inviting as many people to it. Because, man, I think that this, I think that faith can be a beautiful thing and it can be fun and it can be healing and it can also. You know, Jackie, Lu- Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis says, we c- organize acts of radical love will save us all. I love it. Beautiful. Well, remind, remind our listeners where they can uh, get a hold of you. Yes. You can find me across the internet at the Kevin Garcia. That's T H E Kevin Garcia. My book is called Bad Theology Kills Undoing Toxic Belief and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority. That's available at badtheologykills.com. And if you're interested in, you know, getting into a little spiritual social club, I run this uh, beautiful little community called The Crowded Table. Uh, it's a spiritual social club for all heretics and doubt filled believers or not or not believers, whoever the fuck you are, if you are interested in learning how to do spirituality outside of strict Christianity, 
come through. Is that the swear jar? Is that yeah, what I'm yeah. hearing? That's what yeah. that is. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> we'll send you a bill. <laughs> I didn't know we had a swear jar on here. That is so funny. I just thought it was like, like what is that? That's funny. Okay, cool. Now I know. <laughs> 40 know. minutes in, you finally clicked. That's what I'm just that like, is. what? I thought it was like I'm just like someone's got like a Shopify account and they're sell they're making a lot of sales during the call. <laughs> I wish. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> making sales. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. thanks for thank coming. Thank you all so much. Yeah, this was so fun. Y'all are really easy and fun to talk to. Oh, this has been great. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thank you. Oh yeah. That was awesome, Kevin. Uh, you know what? He deserved it. He deserved to come on the second time. That was worth it. That was really great. So love you, Kevin. You know what? I'm going to go on and give an invitation. You can come back a third time. Yeah, in like a year. Give us a year. We got to get some other people too. Not that we don't love you. But... Yeah. <laughs> well, here we are. That, so now we're going to be getting into our build your own, do it yourself DIY parables. And that, <laughs> uh, it was a, don't be a pervert, Derek. Um, that, was my, that was my favorite part of the first parable series. And if you don't recall what we're going to do, we wrote our own and then the other, we'll read them and the other three will comment. And those who read them or wrote them will not be able to add any commentary. So it's right. sort of like we're digging into the text for the first time and then we have to interpret it without yep. having the author here with us. Yep. Roll your own parables. It's a roll your own episode. Smoke them in, in communion. Right before we before we get started on reading our own, I'm just curious, like what what if any insights or or revelations or or not have we had this this go around with parables? Yeah, so this time around, it's similar to the to the first time. I mean, what I loved so much about the first time around was really getting to see parables that I was pretty sure I knew what they were already, you know, I knew what they were about, and to suddenly realize I was wrong. I mean, I really think I was wrong about that, and. And to have a completely different angle on some of these parables was so good. And I loved it. So who knows? Maybe we, we could do a third one down the road because I, I really do love parables and I really love being able to look at them from completely new angles. And I, yeah, I, I, I just love being wrong about some of these parables that I thought for the longest time I, I knew it was what it was all about. Yeah, I love uh, learning in real time. That's what this was for me. You know, like you said, Keith, seeing things that you haven't seen or seeing it in a, in a different way or in a fresh way. And, um, and, and again, you know, you guys know how I feel, how I feel about the Bible and everything, but, um, but I, I like the parables. I dig the parables. I am constantly reminded of the propensity to see the parables as like, it's part of my like evangelical upbringing to see the afterlife in the parables and constantly having to check myself that, that's not what these are about, generally speaking. Um, even if the setting, like the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, even if the setting is in the afterlife, it's not necessarily about the afterlife. Um, so it's always uh, a constant check on my part to kind of unlearn the things that I was brought up with when it comes to these parables and then seeing them with fresh eyes and listening to, you know, you three and gaining insights and then being okay with not having like a, this means that, this parable means that. It's like, no, there's like 7,000 things. You know, like when Car when Katie was gone, 
for the one episode, I guarantee that if she were there, we would have had like five other different meanings that could have been brought to the text or different insights. And so always remembering that, that uh, if we're if we're in community talking about these things, we're going to have a lot of different perspectives. I'm reminded how... I was especially reminded this time around how far I am from the land. And because I don't know how to grow anything. I don't have a green thumb. But like insights of those of you who know about that, they it adds so much. Um, and I was remembering, I was remembering being in, in um, a class, gosh, a long time ago on the book of uh, Hosea. I think it was Hosea. That class would not end, y'all. You get tired of reading the book of Hosea for a whole semester. It's oppressive. But, by the, but um, there were stu- a couple of students from Africa who deeply knew crops. And they were like, oh, no. And they, I mean, they, they could like see things in that um, ancient text that I couldn't see because I didn't know. So like with the, with the fig trees, with the blooming, with all the agricultural um, stuff, um, I think I was, I was reminded how close Jesus and people back then in general lived um, to the cycles of, and the seasons. That's a good point. Well, good. So... Speaking of which, maybe we maybe we'll have some some new parables that involve some crops. Katie, would you like to uh, take it first and get into your parable? Hear the word of the Katie. <laughs> the Katie. <laughs> this is by an unknown author. I'll uh, I'll be coy about it. All right. The woman spoke to her followers in a parable. There was once a young man who went to the store to buy groceries on an early winter night. The selection was limited and some of the fruit was bruised and the vegetables were old and rotting. He left and was disappointed because he had been looking forward to a fresh meal that night. Driving home, he passed by the old tree, gnarled and weathered, but still tall and vibrant. The tree dropped acorns in a shower on his car, cracking the windshield. He drove carefully, planning to call a repair service the next morning. Arriving home, he found the house empty. Going into the backyard, he found his wife and his husband preparing the garden for the cool days ahead. He smiled and gave them the car keys to bury with the new seeds. Wow. Hmm. There is a lot in there. There is a lot to unpack there. Wow. Okay. Who wants to jump in? Is this, <laughs> I'm not okay, sure to begin. First of all, <laughs> I don't know if this is... Uh, Something in the text, but is this a polyamorous uh, relationship? He uh, found that, that would he be found his wife and his husband preparing the garden for the cool days ahead. That's the big to me. That was the big like. Wait, hold, huh? <laughs> well, am I reading this correctly? Yes. That was okay. why it was. It was the acorns on the windshield. That oh. was the thing. The cracking of the vision. Oh, there you go. Oh, see, yeah, that, yeah, I didn't get that, but that's you're probably right if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I caught the polyamory too, but that wasn't the. That wasn't the <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably so not. Yeah, it's probably not going to. Well, maybe it impacts the parable itself, but so you, you know, you also have there's some inside knowledge, which is, which is great. If that was if that was on purpose or not, but the way it's phrased when it says um, driving home, he passed by the old tree, as if we we all know which tree that is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's written as if. Oh, you all know that old tree, and that like tree. We're, we're reading it now, of course, separated from the woman and her followers, and who knows. And it's, the thing is, though, this can't be very old because he's driving a car and he's going to a grocery store and all that. But anyway, but it, it's but it seems like it's very it's written to a specific community of people in a specific place and time, 
And they know that tree. Uh, we don't, but they know. They know what tree they're talking uh, uh, the, the, fruit, the fruit was bruised and the vegetables were rotting. It yeah. was not good fruit. Right. So that, what about that? So maybe we just take it a bit at a time. So a young man goes to the store to buy groceries, was sent to the store. Or no, sorry, he went, sorry, he went to the store to buy groceries um, on early winter night. So winter's coming. And but when he gets there, uh, the fruit and the vegetables are bruised and old and rotting. So he leaves with nothing. He's empty handed and he's hungry, I guess, because he was looking forward to a good meal. So he's driving home hungry, disappointed. Then, then his, his, uh, windshield gets jacked up by this damn old tree and the, the, the acorns. When he gets home, now this is interesting. The wife and the husband are preparing a garden, a garden. Mm-hmm. So who plants a garden in the winter? Mm-hmm. Oh, you got winter that, crops. That sounds interesting, though. I've never heard of that. I guess we also don't know geographically where they live. Uh, so, for example, right now, it's June as we're recording this, and um, it's like blazing hot where I live. But my son David is in Wyoming in Yellowstone, and he's posting video of snow, mm-hmm. which is insane to me. So, obviously, depending on where you live, uh, things are different. But it's weird to me to think that in the winter you would plant a garden. I don't know. Isn't that, it like winter south of the equator right now? Yeah, see, that's then maybe. Yeah, that's, yeah. This this was something, too, that, you know, the 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 fruit was bruised and the vegetables were old and rotting. And, and, and so, you know, we look, we're look, we're looking for good fruit. This is like Jesus coming to the, to the fig tree. He's hungry and, and he, he, it looks they're expecting fruit and he finds none. But just like the fig tree was out of season, these vegetables were old and rotting. Makes sense because this is winter, right? You wouldn't expect to find, you know, good fresh vegetables. And then also, the possibility that this fellow is some sort of ethnic minority in some inner city place, and this is a food desert. That's well, another interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. An interesting point too. Yeah, but he's he's disappointed because he was he was looking forward to a fresh meal, but then he passed by the old tree, and. Which tree is that? Is that the tree of life or is it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, I, 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 would, I would surmise that this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it dropped acorns on his windshield, which caused his vision to be obscure. And it's just like they, they ate and saw they were naked. He looked and he saw that the, that the road ahead was obscured by this cracked windshield. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to stop right there because I'm, yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm really, as you could tell, I'm, I'm really like kind of into this right now. <laughs> well, so there really, no, there, I guess like with all parables, the more you dig into it, you start seeing different possible layers, right? So I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, so if you just, if I just sort of pull back a little bit and if I were to summarize what I think I'm reading in this parable, um, so this young guy, he's disappointed with he had an expectation. He, he went and had an expectation of some good things that he was going to receive. He was disappointed. Um, then he had a further disappointment with um, with the the, the the acorns cracking the windshield of his car. So he's kind of now he's, he's really disappointed. Now he's kind of upset and anxious and frustrated. But then when he gets home, so he, he comes back home. 
think about even like the prodigal son, right? When, when he, when he comes back home. So coming home in itself is some kind of a spiritual thing. That's a good thing. You, you come back. And when he comes back home, this is when he sort of finds truth. He finds, uh, his disappointment is given some perspective. Like, Hey, yeah, you know what? The grocery store sucks in our town and that damn tree just jacked up my car. And so he's really disappointed and, and really upset. And he's kind of down but when he gets home. Uh, by, by coming back home now, suddenly, I think he could see what matters. Like, okay, this is what really matters. Not my damn car. Um, not whether or not I get a, a nice meal tonight, but my family, right? My wife, my husband, who I love. And, uh, this is what's valuable. This is what means something. And I think that's why the guy decides to bury his car keys with those seeds. Like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care about who cares about my car. Who cares about? whether I, you know, get this nice meal from the stuff at the grocery store or not. Everything I need, my real treasure, what really matters is right here at home, my wife and my husband, and we're going to figure it out. We're going to work it out together somehow. We're going to make it work. That's That's so beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Yeah, who knows if it's right? That's what I get out of it. It is is right because you drew meaning out of the text, which is what we're doing here. Um, I was just going to say something similar, Keith, that... You know, it's it's going through all these steps and finding disappointment and then realizing, you know, what really matters is I should have been here planting uh, our winter garden anyway, like and not worried about uh, what's at the grocery store, what's not at the grocery store. You know, in California, here in Chico, California, in the North Valley, north of Sacramento, we, we can plant uh, I mean, it's a little, I, I, I question, I don't know where these folks are at, but I mean, I question a few things here. I mean, if it's starting to be winter, you should have already planted your fall crops. Um, also, no one's harvesting the nuts off the old tree. Uh, if they're just falling in winter, they should have been already harvested. However, that being said, you know, like you just said, Keith, what really matters is not the car. Although, you know, Derek, I know you can appreciate a nice car, but uh, what really matters for this person is realizing, hey, you know what? Fuck the car. I'm here with my family. Let's let's get in the dirt. Let's get our hands dirty and plant some crops. And uh, you know, we'll see what we'll see what we can grow here in our home. And I love that it gives a um, you know sort of a relational minority are the heroes. You know, so the, the polyamory it gives. Like what uh, representation is important these days. It's something we've realized we want, you know, we need representation in our heroes. And so it's always good to remember that whether black, brown, gay, bi, lesbian, poly, queer, whatever, it's good to have representation in our stories. And so I like that this has that. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to stick my head in and say my car doesn't have keys, but. (laughs) Oh, well, you know. Oh. Some of us drive a 98 Ford Ranger and we have keys. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I have, I have one car that has a key, a traditional key. I have one car that has a key that you don't need to have. You don't need to put it in the ignition. You just push the button once you get in. And one car that you just get in the car and put it in, put it in drive and go. <laughs> as long as you have an app. You got to have your phone and your app. Oh, there you That's go. Right. There you go. It's important. There you go. Well, I don't know. Did we solve this? Do we have any more uh, any more tidbits to draw out of it before we move on to uh, Derek's? Well, I don't, I don't know. I think that before we before we go on, I think that that we need to hear from the presenter of the parable. I, I was enlightened by some of what you all to say, so I won't uh, I won't give away the farm. Oh, don't give away the farm. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, y'all, 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 y'all touched on a lot of things that I had in mind. Um, didn't touch on a few things I had in mind, which is totally fine. And oh, then had insights about that I didn't, wouldn't have thought of that I really, really liked. So, Ooh, okay. I don't want to like, like you know, like I don't want to name them all because I want to let it stand on its own. Well, and and how about this? How about just for a shameless plug? How about after we're done recording here, we can. Uh, talk about the things that maybe we all missed for our Patreon community. We Patreon. can give them like some of the insights. So yes. if yeah, you totally. do want to find out what Katie was really thinking, patreon.com slash Heretic Happy Hour. Ooh, Thank you. That's good nice. job. That's well beautiful. Well you can join for as little as like $2. You that's can. Right for $2. $2 a month. A month. Lord. Yeah. That's a good I like that. And Perfect. the content. Oh, baby, the content. <laughs> All right, so I think, uh, Derek, are you going to go next and share with us your parable? Okay, here's the thing. You wrote yours like months ago, so or, or like a month ago. So uh, you you are ready. You, you are quick on the draw. I'm ready. Yeah. And, and, and so for, for my text, we will turn to uh, the, the book of Einstein as revealed by St. Niels of Boers. Okay. Uh, from the, from the, uh, the, 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 uh, the quantum covenant. And it reads as such, as thus. The kingdom of heaven is like a quantum particle. In observation, you can determine its position, but not its velocity. Or you can determine its velocity, but not its position. Again, I say the kingdom of heaven is like two quantum particles. Once they become entangled, any action upon one will inform and influence the other. The first parable teaches you to lower your expectation of others because observation influences behavior. The second teaches that all of creation is connected and that which you do to humanity or its dwelling has cascading impact in the world and upon yourself. May the, may the dog add blessing to the meeting of the reading of this word. All right. Uh, this is good. I love quantum stuff. This is really good. I can't wait to read your book, by the way. Oh, thank you. Well, hey, thanks for the little plug. Appreciate that. Uh, no problem. So, yeah, this is good. So the king, I also like how you started the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, I, can't re- I can't wait to read Matt's book either. I'm buying both of your books. I'm not asking for free copies, by the way. I'm going to give you real money. Oh, you, you're sweet. Mine's, mine's $50 on Amazon right now. <laughs> Bullshit. Did <laughs> 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 I say that? <laughs> this is, uh, so, yeah, I, I love that Derek puts his twist of talking about the kingdom of heaven. And we know Derek is coming from a place of atheism. But the what should be appreciated there is that there is there's a Derek's putting humanity first, which a lot of us who aren't atheists do. And so I've said I've said things like I live as if there's no God and and I just do try to do what's good and what's right to my fellow human being and other creatures who live on this earth. And so I think that's where we can find some unity in this and, and, and agree that all of creation is connected and that which you do to humanity or, or its dwelling has cascading impact in the world and upon yourself. And that blows apart the bullshit notion that we are our, an island unto ourselves. We can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. This American... Um, individualism, hyper-individualism, and what this parable and what quantum theory and what 
mystical traditions and yada, yada, yada teach is that that has been debunked and it's bullshit and we need to get over that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this is the the beautiful thing about the, that overlap between uh, quantum and so much of what's even in the Old Testament, not just, you know, not, not only in the New Testament, you know, Jesus gives us these kind of these kind of really cool ideas and even some of like Colossians and Ephesians give us some of these ideas of connection and oneness and all that non-duality is an illusion. I mean, you know, separation is an illusion and all that, um, which I totally, I love that stuff. I resonate with that. Um, but it's really cool to see like in quantum that this is one of these things in quantum that it also suggests that whatever we do to others, even if we, if so, if we think in this us and them kind of way, and we think, oh, if I harm these other people, if I marginalize these other people, because they're not like me, they're, they're different from me, you know, I'm this and they're that. I think this way, they think another way. That, um, that, that even that that justifies me treating that person differently, uh, and usually in a negative way. But to recognize that, well, that, that is, um, that doesn't really work, you know, it doesn't work from the spiritual side of things. If you have this idea, if you follow this idea that, we all somehow descended from Adam and Eve, which I don't believe. But if it, but, but that teaching is that all humanity came from the same humanity. All humanity is one humanity. So there is no, oh, you're different. You're over there somewhere. No, we, every human being alive, we're all brothers and sisters on this planet. Uh, we've all, we all have the same father. Um, and then, Damn you know, like dirty apes. <laughs> and then Jesus, you know, when Jesus says these, this radical thing, like, Whatever you've done to, to these, to the least of these, you've done it to me. Like that there's a connection here. There's not separation. And then, th- so then there's no separation between us either. I love all of that. And I, I love that quantum is hopefully helping people to think through that. And I don't really care if they, if they arrive there from a mystical religious way or if they arrive there from a scientific, uh, quantum science way. As long as we get there, as long as we reach the place we understand that we are all connected, we are all related. That there is no us and them, and that we need each other to survive, and so it's just in our best interest, whether it, whether whether it's through the filter of humanism or the filter of Christianity or Buddhism or you know who cares? It's, there's so many other things. There's so many other filters, but I said, but I think it's a critical thing. I think humanity needs to get this. This is something we have. We need to understand, and certainly we see in current events. Uh, we're still struggling with these ideas. We still think of each other in terms of us and them in these tribalistic kind of ways. And that's that division is hurting us. So so in, in unwitting preparation for this parable, I watched like an hour's worth of YouTube videos on um, elementary particles and the Higgs boson the other day. Oh, sweet. So this is, so this is speaking to me on a, on a couple of levels. So I'm I'm really appreciating that there's two parables like these two short sayings kind of stacked on top of each other, um, dealing with similar themes and that the teaching happens like right after that, the, um, yeah. it's, it's kind of included in the parable. Um, and so we've I think learned in our parable study that that's sometimes helpful and then sometimes opens up. Sometimes it doesn't teach you the thing that you think it does. Right. So, so I, what I'm appreciating about the, the, the quantum world, the subatomic world, is that there's a shit ton of space at the subatomic level. Like there's just space between all these particles. It's like all do, space, right? I mean, yeah, most like of all it. space. Yeah, but like 90%. Yeah. But it's so it, at the subatomic level, 
things are obviously really tiny, but they're so it's so tiny that gravity is not a factor. Like gra- yeah, gravity doesn't it's um that they, they don't factor in gravity to equations at the subatomic level. And so and then we know that really weird shit happens with particles at the subatomic level. So like I think this is right, protons do do not really they exist in time but they don't they they don't know time right and so that's when like weird shit happens so the this quantum entanglement i think that's what's kind of catching me so i'm just going to read that part again because it's short um so the kingdom of heaven is like two quantum particles once they become entangled any action upon one will inform and influence the other so i, I don't i think that this is um actual science that they've separated like a plant and taken parts of it miles and miles away and then did damage or um, shout like shouted or something like that at at a plant in one um, location. And at the subatomic level, the plant, the subatomic particles in the other, in the plant that was miles and miles away responded because they don't know that they're separated by time and by space. And so like if we could... um, and so then the interpretation of that one, the second teaches that all of creation is connected, that which you do to humanity or its dwelling has cascading impact in the world. And so it's, um, it's humanity, but it's also like humans are creatures on the earth. So it's also the dwelling where humans live. Um, that's like requiring care. And so it's like, if we can't care, if we can't care at the big level where we're all molecules walking around with emotions, maybe we can care at the quantum level. <laughs> Because we all are interconnected. Well yeah. Well yeah. I read, uh, I was actually funny because I was watching a, a little YouTube. I was going down a rabbit hole myself uh, the other day on YouTube. And it was an Alan Watts thing <clears throat> that I'd never seen before. It was actually a q and I've never, I've never listened to a video or watched a video of Alan Watts uh, where he was actually taking questions from the audience and responding to them. There was like five or six questions. And, um, and so one of the questions was something about Nothing. It was something about, they asked him something about, you know, whoa, the nothingness, you know, that, that after we die, we go back, we go and everything just goes into nothingness. And, and anyway, he had a fascinating response and it was, it was, it was funny because it was appealing to the scientific, to the quantum level, Katie. Like he just said, he said, you know, we know at this, uh, scientifically, you know, at this atomic level or this molecular level, um, that it's mostly space. It's most, and even in, in the galaxy, right? If we go out in the, in the macro level, way, way, way out in the galaxies, um, you know, the stars, we look up at the sky, they look like they're just all jammed together. But in reality, there are hundreds of millions of light years apart. And so it's mostly nothing. And then at the atomic level also, right, if you were to zoom that out, the atoms, the electrons, the protons, they're, they are mostly space as well. And then between, between them, there's mostly space. And so he made a comment. This was the this, this statement he made. He said, you know, we think nothing is nothing, that, it, that it's meaningless. But he goes, but there wouldn't be something without a whole lot of nothing. And that actually, without nothing, there wouldn't be something. So, so nothing is really important. Uh, it's not insignificant. Nothing is, the fact that there's so much more nothing than there is something, it also tells us something, right? And it's a mind-boggling thing to consider, but it's true. It's this weird level of like, yeah, nothing isn't like, oh, this is bad. Nothing, this is bad. No, it's not bad. It's actually essential. Especially if our universe is 99% nothing, we should celebrate nothing. <laughs> Thank you for nothing. 
Thanks for that. So what you're saying then is Billy Preston was right that nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. <laughs> or something. It leaves something. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Very good stuff. Well, Keith, you are next. Yeah, About I'll 30. read it. I, I don't think mine has as much nuance as the rest of you guys do. I think I may have failed oh, we'll the nuance find test. It. But we we'll see. Find it. We'll see. It may be, it may, I, to me, it's pretty damn obvious, but um, we're just going to go with it. Okay, here we don't go. Don't, layers. don't say that because then when we don't get it, we look stupid. All right. No, okay. You, you, guys will, you guys will do fine. Anyway, here we go. This is the, uh, the, the ancient parable here. Uh, here it goes. There once was a woman who had many questions, and so she followed a wise guru. But soon she realized that he never told her anything she did not already know. One day, after following this guru for many years, she turned and asked, Why do I need you if everything I need is already within? And the guru said, I don't know. On that day, the wise man asked her, What should I do now? And she said, Why are you asking me? And they both laughed. This is, this is uh, the guru who wants to remain unemployed because <laughs> the advice is that you don't need a guru. But, so this is the contradiction, I think. This is what I'm getting from it. This is the contradiction of um, you know, the, the, the enlightened ones, the gurus will, will give advice that puts them out of a job because everything is within you. <laughs> you know, everything you need, you already have. I'm starting to sound like Jamal Javanji, good friend of the show. But it's true, like, you know, the, um, the, you know, beware of the guru who says, I have the answers, right? Uh, <laughs> or if you see someone who claims to be the, uh, the Buddha, kill him. I, I think this is, you know, this is the obvious takeaway I get from it. I'm going to um, read intertextually for a moment. I'm going to read this parable with the um, great and enduring movie Willow. <laughs> so does everyone remember Willow with the really young Val Kilmer? Honestly, no, I don't. I mean, I remember there was one, but I can't remember. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Yeah. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. It's really fun. They're making no, they're making Willow too because Hollywood has run out of ideas. But, yes. Um, so, Officially. but it, Willow. Um, so the uh, the main character is, pay, is played by Willow. Is played by a little person, and um, his name is on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember it now. But um, he's like at a festival. There's like a wizard or a wise person there, and he's supposed to choose which finger on the wizard's hand has the most magic. And he chooses the wrong one. And afterward, the wizard kind of figure says, um, what finger did you want to choose? And he says, I wanted to choose my own, but I didn't think that, that was correct. Oof. So he like had the correct answer within him, um, within him the whole time. I think what's kind of um, striking me is the, it's like we don't need a, we, we need a guru until we don't. Right? Like the answers may be within me, but I can't always find them. <laughs> Like I don't always know where to look, right? There's all these, there's all a lot of layers of stuff that can get in the way of us actually finding our own answers. So I love in this one that the guru empowers her to to find that answer within herself, but she has to be wise enough to ask the question first. And it's hard to get to that point. That takes a lot of um, seeking to even get to the point to ask the right question. I think it's really interesting how this really parallels. I think that that what the the concept of Christ is really about that that what you need is already in you. You know, I, I I've learned so I, there's this uh this terminology that they call in software called easter eggs. And um 
you know, when you when you find an Easter egg in a in a in a software um, or in a device or and and even like in cars, there are Easter eggs in cars now, and and that's that's what this is. It's like basically the the Easter egg of Easter eggs is you within you, and so I'm kind of like in this place right now where I believe that because energy is neither created nor destroyed, that all energy has always been here and will always be here, uh, that there is no beginning and there is no end. So that means that that all of the wisdom of time is contained in the energy. And we think that we are outside of, or that, or the energy is outside of us, but really the energy is us. We exist in it. And this is like what, what, uh, quantum physicists would call the unified field theory, or that, that's like the holy grail of, uh, of particle physics is that, um, you know, that there's this great field and everything exists in the field and, and waves and particles are, are emanated and manifest because of some excitement in the field. So, but the thing is, is that, what the wise guru is saying, why are you asking me when the same energy that is in me is in you, the same wisdom that is in me is in you. So turning back and, and looking in and, and, and I, and I love this, the, the ending, the ending to me was so impactful, right? <laughs> because she turns to the guru and, and says, why do I need you? Why do I need you? And, and, and this is, this is the, the moment of self-realization, self-actualization, that you come to that point where you say, okay, I don't need anything external. All I need is to look within. And, and then he, he, she asks him, you know, why do I need you? And he's like, you know, you, why are you asking me? You, you don't, you know, <laughs> he, he basically, he, he, you know, turns the whole thing around, you know, so I, I have to use my Missy Elliott re- reference again and say, you know, uh, flip, flip back down and reverse it. Right. And that's what, that's what happened here. This is really, you know, you, 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 um, you really sold yourself short on this one, Keith. This is, this is, this is really, really profound. And I, I'm, I'm loving this. And then the, the laughter. I mean, can you just imagine? They're both like, <laughs> right. It's great. You know, that, you know, we, we, we are, we're enjoying this journey of self-discovery together. Your students surpass you often. And that's, and that's part of it. It's like, Katie, you made a good point that at one point the woman did need the guru, but it's like, if you care, you know, you carry your canoe across the river and once you get to the other side, you no longer need to carry the canoe. So, you know, she's gotten to the point where maybe she's surpassing him and then they just laugh at the absurdity of everything because, you know, that's all you can do sometimes. It's just like, well, now what? I don't know, but let's, you know, but this is fucking, this, this existence is absurd, is it not? So I'm going to have another intertextual reading I have a theory that this woman, I do love that she laughs with her guru or former guru, and then she becomes a guru and she gets her own mm. followers. And she maybe tells them a parable about a guy driving to find groceries. 
It's all connected. Oh. Oh. Quantumly connected. It's, it's quantum entanglement. <laughs> They've been entangled. Awesome. You know, I, I got to say something about the quantum entanglement. This is funny because you, you were talking about plants, but I'm going to talk about something a little bit more esoteric because they took a, um, I think this was an electron, uh, or they, they quantumly entangled two electrons, basically uh, put them in the same, uh, you know, the same orbit so they have the same charge. And they, they put one, there was one in CERN, in Switzerland and one uh, somewhere in Monterey in California. And, and basically when they, when they caused one to move in CERN, the one in Monterey moved. And, and the, the, the funny thing about this is, is that the, the theory mathematically is this, that even if that particle, if those two particles were split, one was on earth and one was on say Mars. That, that it would still happen and it would be just as instantaneous, which, which kind of violates a constant of Einstein's theory of general relativity, you know, that, that light is essentially the speed limit of the universe, right? Then nothing exceeds the speed of light, but this is, but this actually does. And that's why Einstein was even baffled at this because when, when Bohr's presented it and, pre- and presented the, the math that supported it, Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. Yeah, I love it. Can I, can I, am I allowed to speak now? Absolutely. <laughs> you, you, you have the floor. But don't interpret. Oh, no, I will not interpret. No, but I, that, what you were going to say, Derek, I think, again, that is what's so amazing about the quantum thing is that in a Newtonian universe, yeah, um, sort of like information or some kind of a signal or communication would, would have to travel this the distance between one particle and the next particle so like oh hey i'm gonna go left okay got it i'm gonna go left too ready go like but that's how we think in this newtonian way of thinking but the quantum level it's sort of like no no space and time as you already said katie are irrelevant they're illusions like carlo Rovelli's book i just i just read that a while back a phenomenal guy super smart guy in his book i think the book is called reality is not what it seems and in that book he talks about how um, time is an illusion and space is an illusion because those two things are connected. And again, it's, it, it breaks your brain for a second to go, what do you, wait a minute, what do you mean time is an illusion? And, and what do you mean space is an illusion? But, um, but at the quantum level, when you can see that, no, that is sort of, that is sort of the reality, the underlying sort of field behind everything. It is, it's mind blowing, right? You realize that it can happen at the same time because it, it isn't crossing the distance. So that's why distance doesn't mean anything. They are just so entangled that they can't help that if if one of them moves, the other one moves. It's because they're the, almost as if they are the same particle. And that's just crazy, crazy, awesome stuff. And I, I love it. Shall we go from the quantum to the garden? Let's return, Let's return to, the to, garden. to the garden. Let's go back to the okay, garden, shall we? Back to we? the garden. All right, we'll, get, we'll, we'll knock out this one and then we'll see what you have to say. Two gardeners had plots of land next to each other. One night after they were fast asleep, a thief snuck into the gardens and cut a tomato vine from each gardener. The morning after, the first man decided to make a taller fence, put barbed wire around the top, and even put a lock on the gate. The second gardener did nothing during the day and even took a nap. When night fell, the first gardener fell asleep while the second waited up for the thief. When the thief returned, he easily got into the first man's garden using wire cutters. He then cut ten tomato vines this time. But when he got to the second man's garden, he was confronted by the man. The gardener took the thief's shears from him and the thief scurried home. The following morning, both gardeners returned to their fields. The first man was dumbfounded as many of his vines had been cut in spite of the taller fence, barbed wire, and gate lock. The second man, though tired, came out to many intact tomato vines. Mm, Okay. 
So yeah, I think like with the other one, we kind of have to let this marinate for a bit, see what there's, there's a lot in here, right? Did you just say marinate when it's a parable about tomatoes? Yes. <laughs> you can tell it's before dinner time, right? <laughs> marinara. <laughs> Let's marinara on this one. <laughs> I just want to, I want to compliment that second gardener for taking the nap. Yeah. That yeah. sounds divine. Which is why, I guess because he took a nap, he could, he would get, stay up late, right? Maybe that is that why I took a nap, I wonder? Yeah, I mean, that, that sometimes it, it's just great to take a nap. You know, one, one of the best books I ever read was All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten by Robert Fulgham. Oh, yeah, that's a good book. And, and one of the things that he talks about is take naps. Take naps. I took one today. I took a nap today. I took a nap today. <laughs> and and, and there, there's something to that, that, that just taking that, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, or whatever it is that you can spare just to kind of decompress. And, and that, you know, kind of gives you the energy to, you know, to take on something a little bit later. Matter of fact, had not taken that nap today, I wouldn't have been much good for this podcast right now. <laughs> ah, yeah. So, so there, there and, and also there's something else I want to get here too, because, uh, I, I think that, uh, that the author, carefully snuck in a, a bit of numerology here. Mm. Okay, and, what do you and, see? In the 10. It's it's ten. a very specific number of uh, tomato vines. What does the 10 mean? Uh, you know, th- could could that be in reference to the 10 commandments? Um, could this be something related to um, measurement, like the metric system? You know, that basically I think that, uh, 10 is the, is the number that everything is easy, easily, most easily divisible by. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but that, that 10, I think is, is very, is very significant. And, and what, what happened is that the second man didn't allow the thief to get more than 10. In other words, that was his limit before before some before justice crept in. Let's say that. So I, I don't know. I see see a lot there, and and um, and, and I, I also look at this like that. The first man was dumbfounded because many of his vines have been cut in spite of the taller fist. Uh, listen, it, it, when you experience prosperity, you should build longer tables and not taller fences. I like that. That is good. Yeah, I, I see that in here too, and and so that um, you know, and and so the second man, he you know, he took his nap, but he was up during the night, you know, the second watch, and even though he was tired, he had labored not for himself. Remember, he's he's laboring for his neighbor, and, but but still, he comes he comes back to a, a, a bountiful harvest, as many intact tomato vines. Yeah. And also, okay, you just pointed out something that I didn't notice the first time through there, Derek, that the first gardener, that the first guy who builds the fence, so he puts all this energy, he works so hard all day, right? Building a fence and putting a lock in the gate and the barbed wire and all that stuff. But he's working really hard to protect only himself. He doesn't give a shit about the other guy. It's like, I don't uh-huh. care about the other guy. I'm not building a fence around both of our garden. No, just mm. mine. Mm. So that is, that's significant, right? The first guy only really cares about himself and puts all this energy into protecting himself. But all of that is worthless because the guy, the, the thief has a pair of wire cutters and just snips right through it. Boom, boom, boom. Goes in, takes even more out of his garden 
And if that had been the end of the story, it'd be like, well, that in itself was a nice little parable, right? Like, hey, well, well, all that work for nothing, right? Um, but then but the second gardener is a beautiful example because he doesn't stress. He doesn't work all day. In fact, he takes a nap. He's not stressed out. He just, he just, you know, because he took a nap, he can stay up late. And he, he so he stays up late. And, and when the thief comes to his garden, he scares the guy away, grabs the vines that the guy had stolen from his gardener, from, from his neighbor. And, um, and then like, Hey man, next morning, here you go. By the way, here's these vines uh, that the guy stole and, you know, gives it, shares with them and all that stuff. And, um, and, and he's also protected too. And he didn't, he didn't have to, uh, like nothing was stolen from his garden and he, he was protected, but he was also able to, in many ways, help his neighbor at the same time, which I think and is just great. without the fence. You know, without the fence, without, without, yeah, any of that. Wait, where does he, where is he helping his neighbor? Uh, well, he, he took, so it says the gardener took the thief's shears from him. Yeah. So he, so the thief comes in, cuts 10 tomatoes, 10 tomato vines. And then he get when he gets to the second man's garden. So I'm not getting the impression that the man stops him. Okay. I see what you're saying. No, I guess you're right. I was reading into it. I, I thought, yeah. I thought that, uh, I thought that this, that the second gardener, um, also was able to rescue the vines that have been stolen, but you're right. He doesn't, doesn't say that. Maybe I'm re- Reading into the text, I apologize. Okay, so I have a question though. If you cut a vine, what do you do with it? Can you make tomatoes regrow just from a vine, or are you just cutting it for the tomatoes? Like, can you replant that and make it? I think, I think you can propagate the vine. You yeah, can propagate it. Yeah, put the little enzyme things on it. There's fruit on it, correct? Okay. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. fruit on it, maybe. Now, is that worth anyone's time? That's what's striking me. It's like, is it worth anyone's time to steal a tomato vine? And the tomatoes on it to go home and propagate them. Like this is a colossal effort with shears. Yeah, just go get some seeds. And like, who brings wire cutters with them to like do this? Inference thing? number two, Katie. <laughs> right. Take so this is penalty. like. <laughs> well, it's just striking me that the thief is is like this is a ton of time consumption for everyone for the sake of tomato vines. So is it about the? Um, uh, the honor of it about the oh, the, th- the thief is a tomato hanger. That's clear. He's a t- That's clear here. <laughs> but it, yeah, well, no. Listen now. So if we read more inference. <laughs> if we read it from this, uh, let's let's read it as we did with the other parables. Right. So let's read it from an economic perspective. Right. These gardeners are like their landowners. Uh, obviously, at least one of them seems to have enough resources that he can just like the next day. Well, wait, Keith, are, are they are they landowners or are they just vine dressers or tenants? Yeah, well, I don't. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, who knows? But it seems like the guy, but he's able to go out and buy fences and barbed wire and, uh, and again, a lock on the gate and all this stuff. So, so the person who's, who's sort of coming in at night and stealing the vines, maybe they're just poor. They're hungry. They're homeless. They're sleeping on the street. It could be a small child, you know, that's an orphan who's living on the street. He's been abandoned and he's just hungry. And so, you know, he just, he's stealing tomatoes because he's hungry. He just wants to eat. So I'm also noticing a lot, there's a lot of the word man. There's the first man, the second man, the thief. And then I was getting, there There seemed to be unintent, maybe unintentional, but like slippage there. Cause I was getting a little, just in hearing it, I was like, then that man. So I was like, is it the first man or the second man? And then I thought maybe the first man is the thief, but then that didn't really hold water. But it was kind of fun oh, to like there. imagine the different, like maybe there's not three men. Or maybe that was a twist. That's a nice twist. That's a like nice a fight twist. Club. Yeah. <laughs> a fight club twist. The yeah, thief. I took my own stuff down with it. It doesn't really hold, but <laughs> I thought it. So I thought I'd share my thought in case anyone else thought it too. 
Yeah, but again, it's again what we what happened the last time we did this parable series is we figured out that without the input of the person that wrote it and their intention and their context and and without the background information of well, here's what I was trying to say, mm-hmm. then you can go so many different directions with it, right? You can read so much into it um, and make so many. Well, I, this happened, so probably this is why it happened. Yeah, but you don't know. I mean, you you can't help but read it through your own filter. You could go forty thousand different ways. Yeah, it's pretty, but it's fascinating. I I think this is a good one. Which is really interesting because like, in my mind, it's, it's really, really simple. And I will, I will tease it out in the Patreon bonus round, but I had, I had one thing on my mind when I wrote it and I'm not going to tell everyone. I'm only going to tell our lovely Patreon supporters. Yes. After, after the, after the end, yes. And the Patreon. Are we saying that Jesus was simple? What? Uh... And we're reading to no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean the the Bible clearly does say it clearly says. Yep. <laughs> well, I think there is a level of simplicity to to what Jesus, a lot of the parables right. of Jesus. Yeah, um, but but the problem is again, there's a. I think there was probably a, a, a simplicity in the audience hearing the parable and probably going ah because they had inside information we don't. On mm. so many levels, and we're so right. far removed from the context and the culture and the time and the current events and all these things that are happening around them that we're we are not picking up on the same things that they probably were. Well, and some of the most so maybe, some, of, some of the simplest things are also the most complex in a contradictory way. You know, like uh, the first the first track off Kendrick's new album, like the the piano part is just two chords. And there, you know, so there's, it's really, really simple. The flow is, is pretty simple, but it's like super, super profound and complicated. And we can talk about it for the next 50 years. So I just want to say, I really miss tomatoes. I can't eat them hardly at all. Like part of the nightshade family. And this made me long for some salsa. I have my first tomatoes on my vines at home here. I had it. I had this. So Wendy had two tomato plants in the backyard. And she's she's away visiting. Um, she comes back next week, thank God. Uh, but I'm I'm watering her plants for her in the backyard. And there was this one just tomato. I and every day I'd go out to water it, and I see it getting you know a little more ripe, a little more red, a little more full, a little more plump, and it's getting redder and redder. And one one night I'm like, man, tomorrow I'm gonna pick this sucker. It's ready. It's ready to pick. And so the next night I, I water it night. So next night I go out to water it, and something has eaten this thing. It's like there's it, it, most of it is gone. You see this big kind of like semi-circle chunk kind of just eaten out of it. And I'm like, what the hell? I I don't know, man. It looks like something big took a chunk out of it. I'm thinking it had to be a possum or a raccoon. raccoon, Or maybe in El Paso, seriously, it could have been a coyote. I've actually, early in the morning, taken a walk. I've I've spooked a coyote in somebody's front yard. It'll run down the sidewalk and jump over their yard. So who knows what it was. But something ate that tomato, man. And I never got a chance to try it. It sucks. Well, with that, we will we will carry this conversation on into the bonus round. But before we sign off today, I just want to remind everyone listening that if you love this podcast and you want to check out our website, it's heretichappyhour.com. We have plenty of t-shirts. We have hats. We have uh, books for sale that feature our former heretics of the week. So head on over to heretichappyhour.com today and please check out our website. Uh, after you do that, come on over to Heresy After Hours. It's our free, free, free Facebook group for all heretics. We laugh, we cry, we post funny pictures, and sometimes we make fun of people, but only in a good, lighthearted, humorous way. Um, so come and join the fun there, Heresy After Hours. 
Yes. And if you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, we just want you to know we love you too. And we especially appreciate all of our Patreon supporters who support us over on patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. It means so much to us. We love you. I'm going to give you the big kiss. Uh, we love you. Thank you so much for the support you give us. It allows us to do what we do. And we, um, we love being able to record the bonus stuff. We're getting ready right after this to record uh, some bonus stuff and get a little deeper into the background of our po- uh, parables. And by the way, I have to mention, in addition to all the cool stuff you unlock by becoming a Patreon supporter, you get access to the uh, very exclusive Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. So if you don't support us yet, please, please go over to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and do that. Thank you. And if you love this podcast, and who wouldn't love this podcast? I, listen, I tune in just for the Keith kiss. Every episode. That, that's, that, that's the part that just reassures me and, and lets me know that all is well with humanity. But if you like the what you hear and you love your favorite heretics, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Five stars. Not four, not three, not two, not one. If you can five. give us ten, we take that. But five. Five, five, five. Five, five, five. Number of grace. Give us, give us five. And guess what? You will live your life to be not a proverb, but possibly a parable. More than a proverb. More than a proverb.